From Indiana Public Radio and Ball State University, this is The Scene, the show that captures live music right from our own backyards and brings it straight to you. I'm your host, Jacob Holtzman, and to open up Season 12, we're continuing on with our Mainstay series, where we feature an artist or band that has been very prominent in the Indiana music scene and explore their history and how they developed as a performer. This week, we're featuring the artist Jeff Anderson, a local musician from Lafayette, Indiana, Jeff is a multi-talented performer who plays a variety of styles and genres. During season 11, you may have caught our homegrown episode focusing on the Weebache Music Festival. Jeff was featured on this episode and it inspired me to reach back out to Jeff to see if they would be interested in coming on the show and talking to us more in depth on their music. We had a fantastic conversation that really got down to the core of what it means to be a musician and showcasing music in local communities. Without further ado, Jeff Anderson. How do you say what you don't know the words to say? How do you play when you don't know the rules of the game? What do you do when all of your hope goes away? How do you sleep when you walk on your feet night and day? You try. You get by. Hope, no, it's never lost Sometimes there's just a heavy cause Mm -hmm. I'll take mine, same as you I know we'll always make it through Like we always do Times like this before We hope there's not much more We stand Holding hand in hand Until we see the plan Knowing sometimes We don't understand How do you say what you don't know the words to say? This life is on loan and I've but a dime to pay Our spirits are free, they're oh so lighter than air Here on the ground we all have a cross to bear I know when it's time to go Then it's time to go Every day I had a chance to play Share some love, see this is how I pray I'm on my way 
to the scene from Indiana Public Radio. Right now we are continuing our mainstay series with local artist Jeff Anderson. We are just about to start our interview with them, so let's dive right in. No, well, I'm sure you've had lots of time to prepare right now, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So 
I just like to introduce my guest here. This is Jeff Anderson. He's from West Lafayette and he's a musician in the Indiana scene. Would you want to start and tell us a little bit about yourself there, Jeff? Sure. Um, I will be in my mid forties, uh, turning 45 this August. Um, when we will actually be doing the, the next Weebache festival, it's actually back on and happening. I am a full-time uh, performing and instructing guitarist. Uh, singer as well. I've been playing guitar. I probably started taking my first lessons at the age of 12, 13. As I look back a bit more, I think that that musical interest was sparked a good bit before I ever had a guitar in my hands or had an official lesson. But, uh, but I've, I've, you know, I've been playing since, since the age of 13, have taught guitar. I was primarily a guitar teacher for the first part of my career. Um, one thing I was going to ask is I always find it really interesting to see, you know, where people got into music. So what was it at around 13 when you picked up guitar? Like, was it a song you heard that made you pick it up or what was it that got you interested in music? My aunt Cindy, um, her and her sisters uh, performed uh, and sang in a, in a group. She was a very, very musical part of the family and very encouraging of my uh, interest in music. So I remember, you know, hearing her sing and hearing her play the piano or being, you know, performing with her sisters. My dad had a guitar. It was an old silver tone. Um, those old relic guitars that you used to order from the Sears catalog or JCPenney catalog. Uh, he had a silver tone acoustic guitar that was in the house and it just sat in the corner den for probably many years before I ever really thought of doing anything with it. So it was a number of little things, having that guitar. A big thing for my uh, generation was MTV. You know, things these days, we go back to vinyl, go back to simplicity. But for us, it was just that visual, you know, seeing all the music happening mm -hmm. on MTV. And I just remember the look of the guitars and they sounded so cool and they looked cool playing them and all the fluorescent colors and things. So there were just a lot of things that made me start to pick up that 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 instrument do you remember the first song you learned in the mtv era on guitar <laughs> the, the the first uh song i wanted to play was you give love a bad name mm -hmm. <laughs> but the first the first song that i learned how to play the first riff the official rock riff that i learned how to play uh was crazy train and my teacher you know wrote it down said hey here check it out by about the day or so before our next lesson, I kind of figured out how to <laughs> read it. And <laughs> yeah. it started to make, I was like, oh, you know, I was hooked. I played on that silver tone and took lessons for about six months. And I did pretty well with it. I certainly would say that I had a knack for the guitar. I had a physical skill with it. And I did, I think, pretty well. But I was still pretty young and I wanted to rock out. And I just, I knew I had this idea of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I spent, you know, six months playing through Hal Leonard's Guitar Method 1. Yep, I have that exact same book. I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. You know, and it's like, okay, I'm making notes sound good. Here's Mary Had a Little Lamb, and for He's a Jolly Good Fellow, and in the back of my mind, I'm, I know that this is cool, and I love this instrument, but at the same time, I was like, well, this isn't quite Poison or Guns N' Roses, uh, but I'll go with this for a while, but it, that's kind of, it was, you know, that's how it went. But then on my 15th birthday, 
uh, got a Series 10 electric guitar amp package. Oh, okay. And uh, so I got that package for my 15th birthday. So once I had the electric guitar and learned that that first uh, Ozzy Osbourne crazy train riff, I mean, I was really hooked. And I knew at that point that for me, that that connection happened. And from that point onward, I, I kind of knew at that moment where what I wanted to devote my life to. No, yeah, that's that's all fun. I, I remember I think my first experience was, well, my first experience with loving music was my dad had cassette tapes in his truck and he had like three and one of them was Sticks and one of them was Rod Stewart. And I think uh, the double cassette of Billy Joel's greatest hits and like that's where it started for me was those. But I didn't get into guitar until about high school, similar to yourself. Yeah. But what I noticed what you're talking about is a lot of electric guitar. But when I listen to your music and as I kind of look behind you also, it's a lot of um, acoustic and folk music. So was there a switch in your life or what do you want to talk about that a little? I love all types of music. And I think sometimes my old instructor would say, you know, if you're a jack of all trades, you're a master at nothing. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I think that it doesn't matter what you do. There are always going to be new avenues to approach. You know, there's always going to be new um, things to learn and, and techniques to master. So I still love to play electric guitar. I love sound. But that being said, when I I played electric guitar, I took the lessons with Harold for about another year after I got the electric. Okay, so I was back to Harold, who mm-hmm. my, my father of guitar. Maybe a year or so of lessons, a little more, close to two could be. Um, he let me go and said, listen, not that I've shown you everything that I know, but he said, I've shown you enough for now. Go out and do your thing. And Harold was my guide, and he was you know, helping me build those, those skills. So he kind of sent me off, and he said, when you're, when you're ready, come back, and we'll do some fingerstyle. And I remember the first time that I saw him play fingerstyle classical, and that captivated me on a whole different level. At this time, you know, Metallica, Jimi Hendrix, you know, these things were, I mean, it's all the ways that you could experiment with these sounds, the electric and the power behind it, and just the tech, the techie side of it, the cool effects and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Amazing to me. But then seeing Harold play uh, Recuerdos de Alhambra, which is a beautiful uh, classical finger style piece. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, and I it was like, man, I want to, you know, I want to do that. When I heard all of these notes happening on a simple guitar, nothing plugged in. Like I said, it, it, uh, it's moving. It's very moving. It moved me in a way that was, it was powerful in a way that I hadn't experienced yet. And again, that power, I love the sound of melody. And then the more I study music and play different styles, I, you still see things going back to classical traditions. I mean, these are just things that, that, that get changed and altered over time, but we still play off a lot of the same kind of chord progressions and the same uh, added or non-scale tones, which seem to make things sound a little, ooh, that, but mm-hmm. I mean, something I'll hear in Metallica, oh, that, that is a melody that, that's familiar to something in classical. So um, there are so many parallels, but that was a shift 
for me. And I told Harold one time that I felt the classical, this was before I actually was, you know, deciding to go down to study classical guitar officially at Indiana University. Mm-hmm. And I said, Harold, I think classical is the, is the most simple of guitar. I mean, it's guitar music. And he said, what? <laughs> but, but I think he understood what I was saying was that simplicity. And it certainly doesn't mean ease of playing necessarily. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, things in a classical piece, you know, notes are written with intention. And, and there isn't as much uh, improvisation in traditional classical guitar but everything is written with, with, with intent and every note has a place and a purpose and it's not any more than you need and it's not any less than you need. It's just what the song needs. And to be able to do that with two hands, it still has me. No, I, I, I get that. I don't remember who said this quote specifically, but it may have been my old classical guitar teacher, but it's that a lot of music is we paint in silence and it's actually those spaces between the notes that's the most important, not how many notes you necessarily play. And that's what gives music its feeling. I can relate to that a lot with classical. I can completely. I used to think that it, it, as many notes as possible. And if it was a simple line that didn't have a lot of notes, I think it was Larry Crane was saying that it was John Mellencamp in, in uh, Jack and Diane, the uh, that little simple note there that John Mellencamp with his ear knew was important, but even as a guitar player, if it's not complicated, if it's not complex, it's, you know, it's not good. But, um, but it was Larry Crane that was saying exactly what uh, your instructor there was saying is that, you know, he, he found that the, the bands that, and I'm not quoting him, but, mm-hmm. uh, but he said making a, you know, a, a band that sounds good or making a song that sounds good is knowing where to put things. I would have figured it out somehow, but classical music uh, and folk music, if we just use even folk as a blanket term right now, just to refer to simplified forms of music, mm-hmm. uh, then I think that all these lessons I've learned from from that and, and then continuing to learn. Yeah, well, it's kind of fitting then that when the scene first met you, it was at a festival that really stressed that simplification of music and kind of return to acoustic settings and folk settings. So I was wondering, would you want to talk about the Weebushe Music Festival, which is really kind of in your backyard, isn't it? It's it's literally in my backyard. <laughs> I live like a quarter of a mile uh, from the amphitheater. So I'm just up the, uh, up the road on Soldier's Home Road. There are some other events that I've played there so it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool being able to run home real quick and grab something that you forgot. <laughs> it's a great setting. Um, you know, I I take Charlotte down there for a walk from time to time. They have mountain bike trails behind there, and it's just up from the river. So it's a beautiful place to have, to have a festival like that. Um, I've loved being a part of it. Scott Freeman, Scott Freeman's kind of the the head guy, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, he was with the Fiddlers Gathering in battleground for many many years and decided to kind of go off uh, but also the taste of tippecanoe was uh he headed that up for many years but he's always had a passion for folk music but also a passion for, i think for songwriting uh for various instrumentation and so he kind of decided to branch off and the fiddler's gathering is is fairly established after all these years i think it was the fiddler's gathering uh, where he had played one of his uh, performances with allison krauss mm-hmm. uh, 
who has, you know, gone on to great songwriting and performing fame. And Scott Freeman, a fantastic musician um, himself, a fantastic uh, hammer dulcimer player, but he plays guitar and mandolin mm. and uh, just just everything. But I think he uh, has a passion for, for instru- different instrumentation, for songwriting, but also things that can maybe step a little bit outside of of the traditional view of folk music. And we're talking about jazz and we're talking yeah. about, you know, even pop uh, music. And I think that, you know, Scott recognizes that, that uh, there's some, some pretty cool folky stuff going on and even popular styles of music and progressive styles, you know, guitarists that are playing in, in, in new ways. I kind of look at it as, as kind of like the, uh, the new folk we really get a little bit of everything. I've been glad to to be a part of this because it I love the idea of getting on the big stage and rocking out, but but this is this has been a venue that's that's more suitable. Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed listening to your performance and then a couple other performances that we got to catch there. Um I know I worked with the Half Step Sisters and then um the Star City Quintet who we also caught there and I really just like the ideas like there's some concerts you can go to where it's just like, here's the artist, here's the songs, then like, then you leave. What Weebache really drove home for me was how the artist interaction they provide. Like it's a, it's a place to experience and learn about music also at the same time. It's a great way of putting it. And I think uh, Scott would, you know, particularly, you know, appreciate that recognition. I agree. And with the workshops, uh, Mm -hmm from from even from the fiddlers gathering you know being involved with the music creating it's it's a learning experience for the for the performers i mean you know me just being able to see some of the different talent that they 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 bring in it's just it, it's amazing but yeah very very interactive loving what jeff was saying about the weebishay music festival i wanted to talk to them about their past performance when we caught them we're going to go ahead and listen to like them and then hear some of jeff's backstory on the song let's go ahead and give it a listen That I'm still the same Restless son that you know Thinking about what's next Before my work is even through I'm always at my worst When things don't go my way And even when they do you'll still hear me complain sometimes i wonder what you would say to me sorry son but you will never be Through. 
we're just different types. The truth is clear to see that you and I know we could never be like them. Like them. Like them. Yeah. Like them. Dad, I'm still the same. Restless son that you knew. Thinking about myself, and I'm so good at it too. I wonder what you'd say if you were still at home. I guess I know enough to make it on my own, but still it'd be so nice if I could see your face. Assuring me that I would find my place Like them Like them Like them Like them You're listening to The Scene here from Indiana Public Radio. Right now, we're interviewing Jeff Anderson. Let's go ahead and get back to it. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk about some of the background behind that song. I'll mention my uh, musician friend, uh, Scott Bezerra. Uh, he uh, played bass on my Soldier's Home Road album. <laughs> but, he, but that tune that was on that album, he said it was one of his favorite songs, if not his favorite song from the album. It was one that, I didn't, that he didn't play on. Um, but it was a song that I had wrote, written, and dedication to my dad. And I, I remember listening back when you would, you had sent the link for the radio program, uh, from our program here, the scene. I was talking a little bit about the comment that I remember my grandfather saying that this Navy guy, you know, son, some people are in this world are wise, some are otherwise. <laughs> I have always been a little bit on the outskirts kind of a loner, you know, kind of gone my own way. Um, I think my dad was a little bit like that. And I think, you know, something about even our side of the family kind of do things our, our own way, if you will. That's, I'm quoting from a, from a Robert De Niro line from a movie. Where he said, <laughs> there's, you know, there's three ways to do things, the right way, the wrong way, and the way that I do them, you know, and that way. <laughs> but like them, I'm kind of having a conversation with my dad and then speaking for him or on his part or hearing him, you know, say things that, that he might say, dad was a military, he was in the air force for 20 years. And so, but that song kind of appealed to, I guess, someone on the outside looking in and your, your ultimate goal is to try um, to be like them. One, one thing I was going to add in was I think music is really a great, place where you don't necessarily have to be like everyone and you can build those opportunities to meet people 
like you. And so I think you may have been able to do that by, you know, singing about these experiences. You meet people that way through those experiences you're connecting with and exposing to people. Good point. Probably like them is learning how to like yourself. Mm -hmm. That song and, and that album that it came from, I don't always know what I'm going to write about when I'm writing a song. I tend to write I think more about an emotional experience, dealing with personal experiences, emotions, growing hardships. I mean, those are things that that tend to kind of come out once I start writing. But I have lots of songs now that are about a lot of different things. Um, that Soldiers Home Road album was really about it. It was it was a self discovery. It was. Um, kind of a journey of, of self-discovery, not to sound too cliche, these themes of youth and these things that I kind of like how you've said it, but kind of going through this process, putting these things out there, writing these songs, performing, meeting these people. Um, yeah. You find out that uh, being like them is more about just being yourself. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. And I think that's, one of the amazing powers music has is it really allows you to be yourself in a lot of ways. Yes. I, I think that's the, um, the biggest freedom and still the thing that, that I am learning to, you know, to let go and not be afraid to be yourself. Probably spent a lot of years trying to sound how I thought people might want me to sound or try to make things that would be accepted. But uh, maybe in reality, like, in the end, no one's going to play like you play. No one can play like someone else plays. And it's all like, who are you in this space of music? Agreed. And I, th and I think that when you, you make that courage to really be yourself, um, it gives other people that courage as well. And they get to connect with you more. And so that's really, um, this may be a little full circle then. It's kind of about our, our music guides us and we guide our music. And we all have guides in our music experiences throughout our time. And so like you were talking about how you had a guitar teacher. And so what is it like now being a guide for new people, exposing them to music? Because you're a guitar teacher now. And so how has that really, you know, come full circle into how you approach things? I focus on the technique, you know, and that's something that uh, that Harold um, did with me that maybe my dad would have done learning, you know, learn the skill. Harold said, and it sticks with me, and I tell my students, he says, we're not here to teach them how to play guitar, Jeff. He said, we're here to teach them how to practice. I love the things, I love to be able to inspire my students. On, in a lot of ways, in the lesson, my lessons go like this. It's a conversation. And always, you know, sound, of course, like I'm in control and know what I'm doing. Um, the, the, the biggest thing I've been able to tell them is like, listen, I practice so that when I go live, I have the best chance of success. That's what I'm doing. You know, I don't really know how this thing works, but I know that I let them guide me. I feel is guided as far as my understandings about music, because again, these students, students that are interested in songwriting, I find that I, I, I best try to talk about my approach to it. And at times it probably sounds like, I don't know, I'm just in a, a leaf in the wind, but that is really the way of it as a teacher and as a working musician, you know, making this, this work, 
I practice. People practice in their own way, but I focus on developing skills. Um, there is a, a, a documentary called The Making of Asia, which is mm-hmm. Steve Dan album. Player, one of their guitar players, that he had said that what their goal was, was to practice past the point of perfection to where you could relax. And, and, and so those are things that I try to work on a lot with musicians, especially my Purdue students. I love being a guitar instructor at Purdue University. I think it's cool that, you know, these agriculturalists, these biochemists, I think they're going to be better and more creative in their lines of work because of their experience with music. I mm-hmm. think it's going to, I think it's going to help make them better at that, but I don't have the student for a long time. So I certainly like to, you know, give uh, as much input as I can, as far as, you know, following your interests and opening your ears up to different styles of music. But I also try to give them as much of a good foundation as I had from Harold on how to make it work and how to make it happen. And I'm able to do the things that I do um, musically, not just lyrically or, or uh, thematically, but because physically I know a process of doing it. And if I can take this step by step. Installation of good habits. Instilling good habits. Exactly. Well, yeah, no, I think um, one thing that really stuck out to me with your lessons with Harold, and then I don't know how far maybe you do this, was that he let you go after a certain time. It was like, it's now your opportunity and time to like explore this instrument. And then had you come back later, it wasn't that he was necessarily done showing you everything, but you need this time to develop these habits on your own. Certainly. And, uh, and again, it's, it's a great, it's a great way of putting it. Um, it wasn't terribly, terribly long after that, when I had come back to play the, the, the classical that they had an opening for a, uh, for a teacher position, for an instructor position. And that's, you know, he had recommended me to come in and do that. And, and that's where the tutelage continued, but that was a big part of, to him was, experimentation. He probably saw that I could, you know, I could show that I could, I could get to, I could complete certain tasks. I could work out a melody. I could, you know, count through the rhythm of a piece. I could do these things that a, that a student might need me to do, but now come back and let's try a new direction. And yeah. when it comes to, with my students, I say, go out and Take lessons from anyone you can. I mean, learn your 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 learning. I don't I don't believe in there, there, there's no such thing as self-taught. Nobody is self-taught. Everybody learns from someone somehow, be in person, but you are learning from all these different influences. Yeah, I guess you know, Harold was well, he was teaching me how to teach myself, which inevitably turned into being able to teach others. So mm-hmm. I like, yeah, all this planned, Harold. Thank you. <laughs> I, but I still remember, you know, and I'll share this. Uh, so once I graduated high school, I started giving my first lessons at my junior summer of high school, hiring me at McGuire to do this. And I always like to think, you know, Dave is another musical father of mine. Dave Grimes is the one. They just celebrated their 50th uh, anniversary, the local music store here, McGuire Music. Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't say this, but I like to imagine if, if, uh, if Dave would have heard the comment that Harold said to my mom about, teaching me to be a musician now, I hear Dave in the background saying, 
yeah, I'm going to teach them how to make a living at it. You know, <laughs> it's really from Dave that I've learned how to be a business person and, um, and how to be a functioning musician and, and learn how to really be, you know, make, make a, make a living doing it. Dave knew that he asked, have you had any experience giving guitar lessons at the age of 17? Well, of course not officially. So I started giving, you know, a limited number of lessons and kind of built this schedule up from there. And by the time I was 18, uh, Harold and I, we had probably about 50 students each a week. I mean, we were really in it pretty heavy and I was teaching Monday through Saturday, you know, but it's lessons like that, you know, learning that, you know, quantity is not as important as quality. And maybe that's another circling around back to something like the, like the folk style and Weebache. You know, mm-hmm. it's all about quality, which can mean a lot of things, but it certainly comes from the heart. Well, one one thing about quality that I noticed was this quality of the community of music you've been lucky to be embraced in, it seems, from a really young age. And like, how important is it to have all of those people around you as you're growing into this musician you want to be? And you have that local music store and you have those teachers and it's some place that you necessarily haven't really left because you kind of, you know, you've lived in your hometown your entire life. What's it like to then add on to that community now? Like you're the next member doing that. I see my students uh, taking on the torch for me eventually. That's why we, we still need those small town music shops. You know, we still need the local lessons. If you want the, if you want the big stage, if you want the, I mean, there's such a wealth of music when people say music isn't, you know, it's not what it used to be is completely. I mean, people that know realize that that just, that statement doesn't hold any water. I mean, there is just amazing music out there all over the place. But it's happening on smaller local levels. We don't need the big studios anymore. We don't get all the distribution. And I think that's where a lot of, even before uh, you know, coronavirus, where you know where smaller music shops, smaller artists have suffered because, the golly, the music is fantastic. But even for those that, golly, get to travel around the country, but, but you know, you're, you're not necessarily, you know, you're not going to buy the two-car garage doing it. And, that, and that's... Just because we need more focus on small, nothing's a small town so much anymore, really. I mean, the way that we are able to be connected. But the, but on a simple, I think, basic level, music shops, where people get together and talk about music, where you can have lessons. You know, you can you can go there. I love McGuire Music. Their, their, uh, their quote, or their, their saying from the get-go, you know, that McGuire Music, where teaching is their first concern. I mm-hmm. think that's... I mean, I was aware of that throughout the years, but there was still the voice inside of me that was like, yeah, teaching's great, but I want to be famous. It's funny how time goes on and you, <laughs> I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly where I maybe thought it, thought it was going to be here. I mean, and that's part of, that's been part of what I've enjoyed about the scene so much is that discovery of local music like you were talking about. I mean, before starting it was really hard for me to maybe name Indiana artists, but now that I've gotten to be here, like I can give you artists in Indiana. that are some of my favorites that I listen to. And so it's wonderful how that community approach can really enhance and enlighten your music. Oh, I completely agree. And that's why I think we need you uh, speaking on our uh, behalf because of the recording that you had made before. I mean, it was able to present my tunes in a way that I got to listen to like, somebody's hearing this or somebody's going to get what I intended from this, which was, it was a good message uh, to cope, which was to help, which was to make light, which was, 
to do these things that, you know, we, we, we need each other, you know, folks like yourself, especially with, with musical background too, as a player, kind of knowing a little bit on the inside of kind of what's going on with some of these things, yeah, yeah, understanding, I mean, what do you kind of hear where influences come in and it's great. It gets it, it gets it out to people that, that need to hear it and that, and that need to be exposed to it. I mean, I, I need it. And that's why I rely on my students. I, I sincerely am turned on to as much music from my students as I, you know, as I introduce them to. No. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think the ability to have that community where it's this um, cross sharing of just music <laughs> and information where everyone's gaining and benefiting from each other is so important in music. Well, with that, um, I was wondering, you know, to share some information, if you wanted to maybe talk about any of the new songs you shared with us. Certainly. And maybe I'll play one for you. Yeah, you totally can. Um, the names that interest me <laughs> are Never Coming Back or Kinetic. Kinetic is one of my favorite tunes I've recorded because it has uh, saxophone work by Mark Moulter. Again, part of the, the local music family for many years and just a fantastic uh, saxophone player. Um, so I'm particularly proud of that track. There was a band, kind of a 90s band, um, Morphine, one of my most influential probably the number one live performance I've seen of all time that, that kind of hit me. The thing was, is that it was a three-piece band. There was no guitar in the band. It was a Mark Sandman who sang and played a two-string bass with a slide, saxophone player, and drums. And they had, talk about filling space. Mm -hmm. That was one of the fullest, most rich-sounding performances I've ever heard. And this was coming from a kid that was hot on Jimi Hendrix. And like, you know, I come from Metallica and all of a sudden I'm like, where's the guitar? It's driving me crazy because I want to join the band and they don't need one. You know, it's turning <laughs> yeah. my world upside down. So I just love that saxophone sound and Mark's uh, sound, kind of the, the vibe musically. I wanted to have as much morphine influence on it as possible. And I feel like it uh, was in there. So I, I really like that one a lot. The kinetic, um, it's about motion, obviously you know, kinetic energy is energy in motion. It's important to to have to store things up to kind of be ready, you know, to think about things. But it's it's really it was just a song about doing. I've been standing right here such a long time, Lord. I can't seem to move my two feet. Now I see you painting beautiful pictures. Brad Harner, my uh, the percussionist that I've worked with for many many years. Um, his wife is a full-time artist, a, a painter. I, we had been talking or I'd seen her art or had been thinking about it, but that was a topic that was on my mind and that's what came out in the lyric. And that's really what set that song uh, forward. I, I see you painting beautiful pictures. I learned nothing from small victories, um, how I've wanted to taste of that knowledge, fruit from a forbidden tree. But for me, it's useless information have no voice for the thoughts that you think. So this kind of motion thing, probably feeling at a place where you're stuck. And it's a, an experience that I felt many times in my life where I just was stuck and I just didn't feel like I was going anywhere and I couldn't get going. Mm -hmm. I wasn't where I should have been or where I should be. Or for some reason, I'm, I'm missing the train or I'm just not making it. I'm not where I need to be. So these 
these themes of like moving forward and, you know, and kind of getting going and getting your voice out come through probably a lot of what I sing, but maybe not as much these days because, uh, because I've been moving and things have changed. Standing right here such a long time Lord, I can't seem to move my two feet I've seen you painting beautiful pictures I've learned nothing from small victories How I've wanted to taste of your knowledge Your insight from a forbidden tree Well, for me it's useless information have no voice for the thoughts that you think No, I've lost another day No, I've lost my way No, I've lost another day No, I've lost my way was a song that I started in 1996 and had the main riff, but could just couldn't do anything with. It's amazing. And finally came back. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. I mean, it was something that I, I mean, I would remember it and had been able to finish it in this last uh, year. Um, essentially a relationship song. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's about trying to make a relationship work that maybe isn't supposed to work or can't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't keep someone off your mind. It's it's a relationship song, so I'm glad to to have a good relationship <laughs> relationship song. I guess took a couple of years, but you got it out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took took uh, took a few years. So I, you know, something will get finished when it's when it's ready, and I and I really like it. But never coming back. It's uh, I had a sampled drum track that I went with. I didn't change the drum track or do any weird stuff. I cut it and stopped it at certain points, but it's just a drum track I found and uh, electric guitar on top of it, some percussion, and I had a lot of fun with it. It's a it's a it's a it's a pop tune. 
uses yeah. guitar delay. So I played in a musical, uh, Mamma Mia. So I, I played in that musical. It needed an electric guitar. So I got the electric back out, had to get a delay, my delay pedal out and was starting to, again, do electric stuff again. So it kind of opened up this whole playing electric guitar thing. So that's really the reason for that that got finished was because of uh, Mamma Mia more than anything. time girl I'm oh so sad I feel so bad for all the things I put you through I'd never want to hurt a precious girl like you yes I to the scene from Indiana Public Radio. Let's go ahead and get back to our conversation with Jeff Anderson. My next project, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, in 2019, um, I wrote music for the play. Um, it's oh. not a musical. Um, it's, mm-hmm. So I wrote 
for that. And now I'm in the process of recording that music to put onto a project I'm going to call um, to score a mockingbird. So I performed that music during the plays, during the performances. That that's my that's my main focus right now, which a lot of that is fingers. I mean it's most of it is played with the fingers, but there are some pieces in there that are truly classical in arrangement and I'm really having to, to practice on a lot to to get them ready for uh for, for the album. I've had a lot of fun with that. It's been a lot of work. If you're up to hearing a song, I could, now this one would be for your listeners only until, uh, until To Kill a Mockingbird comes out. I'd be glad to play for you. Yeah, I'd love that. I'm, I'm sure they would too. The, the, the play is set in the 1930s, but the director wanted to be able to, to, to kind of comment about things, themes in the play with a fresh perspective. And then you can't change anything in the play, but you can add, there's nothing saying that you can't add music. So mm-hmm. uh, the director, uh, Corey Rosa, brought me in, kind of be a, a another a narrator's narrator, if you will, musically. But this is a song uh, that will be on that project. It's called Step by Step. Would you help to pick me up if I fall down? I tried to do the same, what goes around. This serum could not be built in just one day. Might take a little time to change my ways. You learn to overcome when you don't win. You cross the finish line to find you now begin. Step by step As long as we go By step By step As long as we go By step By step As long as we go That was um, I've read To Kill a Mockingbird so I'm trying to picture you know beforehand where that's going to go in the um, play, but that was really beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, you're welcome. A lot of people that will haven't seen the play or wouldn't really know, you know, musically, like you said, where does it go? So there will be, um, I wanted the music to be able to stand on its own. So, so if it had nothing to do with To Kill a Mockingbird, you would still be able to get a full experience of just, of just the music. Mm-hmm. But the pieces or the movements, if you will, are named about certain occurrences that happen in the play. And there was a, uh, the name of that song, Step by Step, uh, came from a specific line, you know, in the play. Someone that is familiar with, or maybe they want to read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird after they hear it, which would be great. You know, they'll be able to, you know, a certain piece that might be called Jem's Rage. And, you know, when Jem is, is mm. tearing up mm. the flowers or this or that. So, 
you know, hopefully it'll give, you know, some, some new insights into, into the, the book uh, or the play. I certainly hope that we get to maybe do it again sometime, but yeah, I uh, it's, it's another really influential project on me in this last couple of years. It's just had a big impact on me being a part of it, the work of doing it, writing and the things that it's kind of set me off on. So uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for something. Again, if I wouldn't have been asked to do it, would have never been aware of it. So uh what really drove you to the To Kill a Mockingbird? Because this seems something like something that you're really interested in and knowing the story. And especially you talked about this last year, like it's a, it's still a big issue in our society. And then just to put music to that is nothing I never would have thought about, but can also just be so impactful. It's just interesting, you know, race relations, gender relations, all of these things have been issues since the formation of society, okay? So these things are always pertinent and it's always been going on. But it just seems to me at this particular time, even in my life, that this project kind of came about, you know, and again, this was 2019, you know, and this was this was before George Floyd. I mean, this was, you know, the, 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 the book, the play is centered around a, a black man who has been wrongfully charged of a crime. It is not just about race. It's about gender. It's, it's you know, about, about many things. But a lot of these things had been on this, this hot plate. And I think we're, you know, we're still there. These growing pains. And I think that we have a lot of growing to do. It was Tori that came and asked me to do this. She said that we are doing the original script, which will have all of the language and everything. We had um, uh, folks from the Black Cultural Center that came uh, to talk with us, and we just had some of these forums about it. I read it in high school as well, but mm-hmm. my recollection of it from high school wasn't great. Tom Robinson had been wrongfully convicted of, of raping a white girl, and and that's as far as it went. So. There was a time frame to this where Tori got a hold of me and said, would you, would you be interested in, in doing this? She had seen an artist and they had a local uh, musician come in and do something similar. And she thought it was such a cool idea that when she was asked to produce this play, that she knew that there was more that needed to be said than what this original production was going to do, that we needed to do something. I loved how she said that she didn't want people leaving necessarily that she didn't want people feeling just entertained or, or leaving comfortable. Yeah. Um, she wanted the music to be able to, to really talk about things again in a way that, that we need to. Um, and I, I do it from my perspective, the best that I can, you know, I'm a 44 year old white man. There are certain challenges in life that I have never experienced certain things that I can't exactly speak for. Mm-hmm. But that's why I have to, as my musician, I mean, as an artist, as a musician, I have to use my imagination as I've always done and put myself and imagine myself and other people in different situations and really try to separate, to be non-human almost, to be able to talk about what it's like to be a human. And that's a very important job. And I take it very, very seriously. Um, it's worth everything that I have. But I was on a time frame from this. And so I read the book and I read the play and then sat down with Tori and going through the script. And there were certainly specific things that she wanted to talk about. And so we went through the play together and said, OK, do we want to say something about this and this? And But this was a lot to process. I'd always, and once I did this, it intended to to make a recording of the music and, and to mm-hmm. share it that way. But 
again, a Mr. Teacher, working musician, off from one thing <laughs> to the next. And it just got sidetracked, you know, and then, but then everything else starts happening and you, you come back to it. And then personal, you have to start having personal revelations. And, and, and it's, like I said, it's just an interesting time in my life and in society's life for this project to happen. So I've, I'm giving it all the focus I can, but doing something that I feel ultimately is, is not comfortable, but also is hopeful. And in the end is my Soldier's Home Road album ended with redemption. And that's to me what uh, is always the end goal. That being life itself is, is redemption. You know, whatever that means for the individual, but I think ultimately it's about finding peace and atonement and having things kind of be set straight. But all of that being said, I've now had a lot of time to, to mull over these things and to think about the play more and kind of think about social interpretation. And there still are things I was picking up about preparing for today and reading about a certain flower. And so I'm going to have to read the book again and read the play mm-hmm. again as I finish this project. What amazes me is that in all of that that you're talking about, all of that is through music. And that's that's an amazing beauty that we get to share and partake in is how we're able to explore these things in such a beautiful way surrounding such a dangerous issue that needs to be absolved, but we can approach it through such a graceful manner through things like these. You know, music is powerful, can make you feel uneasy. I think, I think that is an amazing testament to yourself as an artist to really create a song twice. Well, no, well, we've actually talked about this where songs can have so many different meanings, but your ability to convey two different meanings from a song, I think is a really good testament to your artistry. I think that's really cool. Thank you. But again, I think that, that that's, the, that's the great eternal beauty of, of music and the arts in general is that, you know, you, you just, uh, you never know exactly how it's going to present itself to you. You know, we don't feel love just once and that's it either. I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, we don't get angry one time. Well, that's the last time I'm going to get angry. Well, not necessarily. It's, it's, it's like it's new every time it happens. <laughs> Do your songs ever change meaning for you when you look back? Have you ever had a song where you wrote it for a specific thing and then later you're like, well, now I see it this way? I wish I could be more specific. Um, I've been a lot of places musically but I do find myself going back to, to some tunes. I don't think we're always, we're not 100% aware of ourselves and our emotions at a certain point in time. And you experience something and you write about it, but then, yeah, you can come back later and you realize that, yeah, I, I, was, I was kind of confronting this other issue that I really didn't realize I was even getting to then, but it came out in the music. Mm-hmm. In that, in that kind of that, that subconscious way that, that music works, you ask yourself, wait, why did I use that word or why did I say it that way? Well, you hear it again and you realize that it was your, it was your subconscious that was, that was doing the speaking. And that's, that's what keeps me coming back to it. Uh, the fact that I've, I've never had a perfect performance. I mean, it's, and you never know exactly how that night's going to go. You know, you play and you play and you just, you, you get surprised all the time on the winning end of the experience, no matter what happens. I listened to another podcast and they were talking about Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan has a famous quote where someone asked him if he goes back and listens to his old music or like what his inspiration was when he was writing those. And sometimes he says like, I don't know, because I don't know the person who wrote those anymore. It's so amazing how 
perspective changes things and time changes things and music carries so much emotion from certain times and points in your life. You know, going back, you can see it in new lights or, you know, it still stays the same because it's still a testament to where you were at those time points in your life. I like it. It's visceral. I mean, it's real, the emotion that comes out. But maybe we don't even understand it until years later. We get to rediscover ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I like that. Yeah, and what a, um, you know, what a privilege we have was, to be able to do that, to yeah. get to listen and record those moments in time. Well, I mean, Jeff, it's been a pleasure. We've, we've talked about a lot, and I can't wait to you know go dive back through it. Did, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I think we've covered things pretty well. Um, I am looking forward to getting back to the retirement homes. That is, yeah, that's something that has become, you know, and you also mentioned, you know, why don't you, or, you know, why do you stay in a hometown? And I ask myself, why am I here? Well, I don't know. There's many reasons, but maybe I'm a, I'm a teacher and it's my students fault because, you know, they're my kids. I can't leave them. You know, well, okay. I could find students here or there, but the thing is, and I keep thinking about this more and more lately, what did I want to do with music? Is a is a is a kid, and still as a kid that's inside of me, we want to make the world a better place with our passions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we want to make sense of things. We want to make the world better. We, we we want to help out in whatever way that is. But for me, I feel that music has been a gift. You know, I've been given the gift of being able to to do that, regardless of what level it's on. All the people that I get to play for and meet every day. I'm going to find the same kind of people, whether I go from here to any place else in the world. And I love the idea of traveling more and maybe just do some songwriting type tours in years to come. I love relationships and building relationships. And that's something that I get to do in a smaller town. You know, maybe I haven't played for 10,000 people at the same time, but I've played for a lot of people, but I've been able to see them again next month and say, hey, how you do? And, you know, the same lady that tells me about her uh, parents that played in the traveling band when she was a kid and the memories that it brings back. So that is definitely something I'm looking forward to doing when things get back. They know good music, too. I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. they'll, uh, they'll, they'll let you know. But I've, I've learned a lot from, from I mean, my musicianship has, has grown exponentially from, from my experience playing for the retirement homes and learning from those great folks. So. Well, I mean, I think that's really awesome. All of these ways you're giving back to the community. I mean, all of these just um, areas where nothing can really compare or maybe touch it, but music can. I think the work you're doing with To Kill a Mockingbird or To Score a Mockingbird, um, giving musical perspectives, you know, music heightens so many feelings. And to do that with them, to give back to the elderly through the retirement homes, to show them different ways that they can experience music again. And then to just pass the torch on again, even to new students who can later do that with their lives. I think that's all really admirable, Jeff. Thanks so much, Jacob. I appreciate that. I'm honored and humbled just to be a part of the part of the band, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, part of the community. Well, I mean, you know, I'm really excited to talk about. It. I'm really excited to um, hopefully see you in person, get to shake your hand once this is all. <laughs> I'm hugging it out, man. I'm sorry. It's gonna, it's gonna be a hug. <laughs> You're good. We'll just get the awkwardness out of the way, man. It's just going. It's going to be a hug, and it's not going to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us, Jeff. I'm really excited to go through this, put it all together, and um, I was happy with the episode we got to do of you, um, but like. There was only, you know, so much you can gain from pre-recorded conversation with the 
music and this ability to sit down with you and really um, just understand how you operate has given me so much insight and appreciate appreciation for what you do in the Indiana community and Indiana music community. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Well, and hey, thank you. Uh, thanks to all your listeners and everyone that, uh, that supports um, this radio and programs like this. We couldn't do it without them and we couldn't do it without artists like you. So it's, it's a two-way street. It's a three-way street. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a family, man. This has been Jeff Anderson on the scene with Indiana Public Radio. I cannot thank Jeff enough for the time they gave us and the wonderful conversation we had. If you are interested in learning more about Jeff's work, you can find out more at jma-music.com. I hope you all enjoyed this interview as much as I did and cannot wait for the next time the scene catches up with Jeff, though. Until then, though, take care and we will see you next time. Major support for the scene comes from Ball State, Ball State's music media production program, our underwriters, and listeners like you who support their local public radio station. Our show is produced entirely by Ball State students. Paul Butler, Abigail Bache, Liam Van Overwall, and myself are the show's producers and engineers. Gabe Wise, our booking and communications coordinator. This episode was produced by me, your host, Jacob Holtzman. Special thanks to the Weebache Music Festival for letting us record this week's artist, and to Jeff Anderson for sharing their time and work with us. To find out more about the bands and venues we feature on the scene, visit our website, indianapublicradio.org slash the scene, where you can learn more about the program and listen to our episode archive. Again, that's at indianapublicradio.org slash the scene. Also, if you'd like to keep up with what we're up to next, follow our Facebook page. Just search for The Scene from Indiana Public Radio and find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at the scene on IPR. We're also on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you find your podcasts. Give The Scene from Indiana Public Radio a search to add us to your favorite podcasting app. This has been another episode in our Indiana Mainstay series. Thanks for being with us and join us again next time to hear what's happening in the scene here on the scene. I'll take mine same as you I know we'll always make it through Ooh, Like we always do